this morning we are probably kind of starting a new series, even though I hadn't, I didn't really title it as a new series. We've been talking about prayer and fasting, and last week specifically we talked about getting from the Lord uh, the direction that we need for our year and what we're supposed to be doing in 2022, because I don't believe that any year is supposed to be wasted. I don't believe any year is supposed to just be approached the same way that we've approached all years past. I think that our God is on the move all the time. I think that our God is working all the time. And even if you can't see what he's doing, you can't see what is being done, he's working all the time. And he needs men and women that are willing to work with him and that are passionate about working with him. And I don't know about you, but I've given my life in service of that goal and in service of that purpose that I want my life to matter, not matter in the ways that human beings count it as mattering. I want it to matter to God, and I want my life to be in service of Him. And, and you don't have to be in the ministry to do that, right? You, every person, no matter what your job, what your career, what your stage of life, you can, your life can be lived in service of God and in service of His purpose and principles. Many of us, we call God Master, we call him Lord, um, but, you know, it should be more than just a phrase that we use, right? It should be more than just a title. Like, when we're singing songs like we were singing this morning, that last song, you know, we're singing that song and we're saying, God, make me a vessel. Make me an offering. Make me whatever you want me to be. Did you mean that when you, when you sang it? Because if you meant it, then we should come to church expecting to change and expecting to grow. I, I don't think sometimes people come to church expecting to change and grow. Matter of fact, if anybody talks to them about needing to change and grow, sometimes they don't like it. They'll just find another church where they don't have to hear about changing and growing. But you would really have to get rid of your Bible too, right? Because the Bible, the New Testament is filled with exhortation for us to change and grow constantly. And it doesn't matter how far along you are. It doesn't matter how long you've been walking with the Lord you still have changing and growing. And the more you change and the more you grow, the more useful you're going to be to God and the more useful you're going to be to his kingdom. And so this morning, that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about change. Now, it's connected to what we talked about last week. Last week, we talked about hearing from God and getting his purpose for our year. And this is what you're going to find out. Okay, if you, if you were to hear from God about how you need to spend your time this year and where you need to focus your energy and your attention this year, what you're going to find out very shortly after is that in order to do that, you're going to have to change. And this is where a lot of Christians get tripped up. They see something in the Bible they need to do. They hear something in a sermon they need to do. And then when it comes to actually doing it and making that change, it's where they trip up. So I'm going to talk to you about change this morning and basically how to change, what to change, why we change, all of those things. So what does it mean to change? Well, I'm going to, I just want to read you the basic definition out of the dictionary. This one, just real simple. If you didn't already know what change is, of course you know what it is, but I, I want you to just hear it coming from the dictionary. Okay, what is change? Change is to make someone or something different. That's pretty simple, isn't it? Make someone or something different to alter or modify. 
I like the second definition better. It says to replace something with something else, especially something of the same kind that is newer or better, to substitute one thing for another. So when you're changing, what you're doing is you're identifying something in your life that may have worked for a period of time, or it's no longer working, or it should have never been there in the first place. You're identifying that, and you're going, I'm going to replace it with something that's newer, better, more effective. I'm going to substitute one thing for another. And how many of you know that sometimes even just small changes, small adjustments can have huge impacts? Small changes, small adjustments can have huge impacts. Recently, I was frustrated because I was doing some work on my property and I had a chainsaw that I'd had for a while, pretty new too, and it was causing me a lot of problems. And I was aggravated because it wasn't that old. And I, you know, I do some work, you know, on small engines and things like that. And I, I was familiar with what to do. And I was doing everything. I was making every change I could make. And nothing was producing any change. It was so aggravating. And finally, I talked to somebody and they made a suggestion. And come to find out, it just was I had a little bit of bad gas in the chainsaw. And I had changed a lot of stuff on it. <laughs> and... Come to find out, just a little bit of bad gas in there. Dump the old gas out, put the new gas in, and man, everything was working perfect right after that. And saved, you know, your pastor from cursing and all of that and getting aggravated and just, you know, you didn't want to hear that. So thank God that he intervened and helped me. But just a little change. And when you get that, that right change, it can make all the difference. And this is what I'm saying to you this morning is that every single person sitting in this room, there are no exceptions, needs to change. Every person. And there are some things you need to change that have stayed the same for a long time, and it's that thing that's, that's held you back from being more effective in the kingdom of God. And look, this is what, I, I, this is what you got to get in your mind, okay? God is a God that changes people. That's what he does. He's in the business of changing lives, changing hearts, changing minds. That's what he does. So if you need change, you're in the right place this morning, okay? If you're a son or daughter of God, you're in a great place because this is what God does. He helps us change. But I also want you to know this. The further along that you are, the harder it is to change sometimes. Let me explain what I mean, okay? Uh, if you bought... Let's say you bought a new piece of property that was just completely overrun. Weeds everywhere, fences broken down, you know, sheds in disarray. It's not hard to make a little bit of change and see drastic improvement, right? You could just get out a lawnmower and drive around for a few hours and you go, man, look how much better this place looks. You could chop down a few trees, you could repair a few fences, just do a little bit of work and see drastic improvement. But what about if you go to a perfectly manicured golf course? If you go to a perfectly manicured golf course, you got whole teams of people that are doing maintenance all day long, and from one day to the next can't even really see the result of what they did because it was already in such good shape. Let me give you another example, okay? If you're 1,000 pounds and you need to lose 200 pounds, that's easy. If you're 200 pounds and you need to lose just 10 pounds... <laughs> It can be hard. And when you lose the 10 pounds, it might not even be able to tell the difference. 
Why? Well, the better shape you're in, the more work that you've already done, the more growth that's already happened, sometimes the harder it is to get to the next level. Let me give you another example. Think about an amazing athlete like Tiger Woods or some professional athlete that's they spent their whole life getting to a certain point. How do you coach someone like that? I mean, how, I, I was thinking about that one day. How does Tiger Woods have a coach? Like, what is this person going to tell him that he doesn't already know? What drill is he going to give him that he hasn't already done? And when he spends hours and days and, and weeks doing it, does he really improve? I mean, does he really get any better? Like he spends all this time and is he really improved? So this is what I want you to know. Some of us, this is where, this is what we call plateauing. A person makes changes and then they get to a point where it becomes very difficult to change any further because they've already made a lot of changes. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're just in really bad shape. All right. Maybe you have some really obvious things in your life. Maybe you have some just sins that are blowing up your life, blowing up your marriage, blowing up your family. Like you're just self, you're almost imploding. You're just self-destructing. Okay, for you, it's actually not that hard to change, believe it or not. Not with the help of the Lord, not with what God has to offer you. It's not really that hard to change. But there's others that are sitting here and you've been in church for a long time and you've already made those big changes. And you've been in the Word for a long time, and you've been walking with the Lord. You're mature in the Lord for a long time. How do you change? How do you go to the next level? And I just want you to have that awareness that to get from where you're at, it may look a little different than where it looks for someone else who's not as far along as you are. Because, see, some of us have been walking with the Lord for a long time. And this is what I've found out in my own life, that the further along you are with God, Okay, to get those changes that you really need, those, those, those extra changes to push you to the next level, it requires a lot of work. And it requires a lot of commitment. Now, how many of you wish, if you've ever been like me at certain times in my life, how many of you wish that God would just come down and he would just take his finger and he would just touch you and he would just produce every change in you that ever needed to be done? I mean, wouldn't that be easy? Wouldn't that be nice? I love that. Stories like... Uh, the Damascus Road experience with Paul the Apostle. You know, Paul, one minute, he's a, he's a murderer. He's a liar. He's blaspheming God. He's on his donkey. And God just says, all right, I have enough. And basically, he snaps his fingers, and Paul is transformed into a new man. Man, I like those kinds of, I like those kinds of works that the Lord does. Well, but don't we all? Because he basically did everything, and we don't have to do anything. So that happens, but how many of you know, even for Paul, after that moment, there was still a lot of work he had to do. It wasn't like God touched his life and he never had to change again. It wasn't like God touched his life and he never had to grow again. Look, if all he had to do was maintain what God already gave him, it was still going to be a lot of work that he had to put in. And I can say, from my own experience that I had an experience with God like that when I was a young man. Just when I was a teenager, I was 15 years old, and God, I encountered God at a youth camp, and my life, man, it looked radically different in just a matter of hours. God just changed me. But from there forward, there was a lot of work that still needed to be done. So even if God does come in and magically you know, touch your life and you change, there's still going to be a lot of work going forward. Actually... Most Christians, that's not how they change. It's not usually dramatic, and it's not usually instant. 
It's usually a process that involves a lot of work, but praise God that the Holy Spirit is helping you in that work. Let me read this to you in First Peter, excuse me, Second Peter chapter 1. See, these are the kind of passages a lot of people want to skip over. They're just not nearly as fun. Second Peter 1.5, Peter says, For this reason, make every effort. Everybody say effort. Make every effort. Don't leave any effort out. Make every effort. Make every effort. To supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. See, I told you there was a lot to do. lot to do. lot to grow in still. lot to change. And this is what he said. Make every effort. In other words, don't be lazy about it. Don't just put it off on God and say, God, God, just change me. Because it's a lot easier to sing songs like we were singing this morning. And praise God for those songs. I mean, you know, it's, it's a great time to express our heart to God about it. But just singing or praying, God, change me. God, change me. God, make me into what you want me to be. Really what you're doing is you're just yielding to the process of God. See, when you worship and you pray, what you're really doing is you're just getting your heart in the right place so that God can begin that process of changing you. Just go read the Bible. And look at men like Moses. And look at the process that was required to change Moses. Why did Moses have to spend 40 years in the desert? Before he ever was used by God to deliver the children of Israel. Was it because God needed that time to to get his affairs in order? Or did he need that time to get Moses' affairs in order? Did he need that time to change something in Moses? Why did Joseph, after receiving a dream from God that he was going to be the leader over his brothers and family, why then did he go for the next several years through a process of being betrayed by his brothers, being sold into slavery, going into prison? Why did he, why did he go through that? Because God was working something in Joseph. So when we pray and we worship and we sing songs like, God changed me, Uh, God, help me. God, make me into what you want me to be. What you're really saying is, God, I yield to the process of you changing me. I yield to the process that's required and that is necessary to change me. I think it was uh, Oral Roberts that made the statement one time. He He said, Christians love to pray, God, change me. God, shape me. God, make me into what you want. And then when he sends the circumstances that are going to do just that, they say, God, take it away. God, take it away. Deliver me, Lord. I think for a lot of people, we thought that prayer was this magic thing, almost like a genie in a lamp, that when we prayed for change, when we prayed for peace, when we prayed for our marriage, that it was just going to be like this magic you know, pixie dust that came down and did the work, and all we had to do was just sit back and watch it happen. How many of you know that's not the normal way that things happen? All right. Does God answer prayers like that? Yes. Yes, he does. But, but in the same way that you give good things to your kids. I mean, my kids are at an age where if they come in and they say, Hey, Dad, give me $20. I say, Hey, you see that lawnmower out there? You see that rake out there? You see that firewood out there that needs to be split? Yeah, why? Because it's good for them. Not that, I, not that giving them $20 is going to hurt me. It's going to hurt you. So because I'm a good father, 
I'm training them, I'm helping them. God's no different. When you just pray and you just say, oh, God, just magically do this in my life. Well, yeah, he can do that. We all know he can do that. But what about you and what about the process that needs to be worked in your life along the way? So Peter said, he's talking to believers. He said, listen, okay. He said, I want you to make every effort. When someone says, oh, I've tried to change, I want them to go read this. Have you made every effort? Well, I've made some effort. No. Have you made every effort? Have you made every effort? Make every effort. And some people don't want to hear this because they only want to hear about grace and mercy and what God has done. But yet God's done a lot. (laughs) Praise God, he's done a lot. But how many know we still have a lot to do? We have a lot to do. Not to earn salvation. That's not why we work. We're not making every effort for salvation. We're making every effort so that the kingdom of God can expand and that we can be useful on this earth in the service of God. And then we can go home to be with our Lord for eternity. So my life is going to be spent making every effort. And here's the other thing I've noticed as a pastor. In most people's lives, you, you will not have to look very long to find at least one area of their life where they are making every effort. You can look in most people's lives and you can find somewhere where they're making every effort. You may have to look in their hobbies. You may have to look in their recreation. You may have to look in their finances. You may have to look at their job. There's a lot of places you can look where they are making every effort. Here's the thing. If you're going to give something every effort, how about we give God every effort? Because there's a lot of things in our life that people are experts at this. And they well, I just don't, I don't know anything about the Bible. Well, that's because you put in every effort for that area. And you haven't yet put it in for this. And this is what I'm saying. There's a lot of people in this room that you need to divert your efforts. You already have your efforts in one area. And in a lot of times, it's in something that doesn't matter, not going to last, going to be burned up on the day of judgment. It's in that. And you know how to do that, and you're really good at that. You could maybe even teach a class or teach a course on that. But when it comes to the things of God, you haven't put forth that same effort, and it shows. So this is what Peter was saying. Look, if you're going to make any effort, let's make it for the kingdom of God. Make every effort to supplement your faith. See, he says faith is the starting point. Belief in God. Belief in the cross. Being saved. That's faith. That's the starting point. He said, but now I want you to supplement that faith with virtue, knowledge, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, love. Look at verse 8. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Boy, there's a lot there. Because he says, man, there's a lot of people that can have faith and they can be saved and they can be on their way to heaven. But, and this hurts a little bit, they're ineffective and unfruitful. In other words, praise God, they're saved. Praise God, they're on their way to heaven. But as far as being useful in the service of the Lord, as far as being useful in in reaching other people and bringing them into the kingdom of God, he said they're, they're ineffective and unfruitful because they haven't added these other things to their faith. Yeah, he said, yeah, they got faith. But where is the virtue, the steadfastness, the knowledge? See, knowledge takes time. 
Knowledge takes time, knowledge of the Word of God. It takes time to listen to podcasts and listen to the Word and read the Bible. It takes time to build that. It takes effort. He says, if these qualities are yours and they're increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers... Be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Listen, if you're sitting in here this morning and you go, look, I'm tired, okay? I'm borderline depressed, and I just don't have any effort left in me then I want you to put this sermon on pause. I want you to go to the Lord and get that straight. But I also believe that there's some of you in here that are like, hey, I'm ready to go. I feel good. It's a new year. I just came off the fast. I'm ready to prove. I'm ready to improve. I'm ready to work. I'm ready to, to get to work for the Lord. And I talk to a lot of you like that. I mean, I have people come up to me all the time that they're like, hey, I want to do something for God. Well, if you want to do something for God, the, the most important thing you can do is make yourself useful to God by preparing, by getting some of these things right so that when your number is called, then you're ready to go. Let's look at what causes people to change. All right, What are the natural things that, that cause people to change? Number one is their circumstances or their environment. A lot of times when a circumstance or the environment in a person's life changes, it forces them to change. Let me give you an example. When I was, I, t- I mentioned when I was 15 years old, I had this experience with God, but there was a lot I was lacking as far as being able to, to use the call of God in my life. And shortly after I'd gotten saved, the pastor of the church I was attending asked me to start preaching in the youth ministry and start teaching the youth Sunday school class on Sunday mornings. And I'd never I'd never taught anybody. So see, my circumstances changed. Before, I just a regular 15-year-old kid going along. I wasn't responsible for anybody else. I wasn't responsible to, to teach anybody, lead anybody. All of a sudden, I had this responsibility plopped in my lap. So my circumstances changed. And I remember having this thought. I remember thinking, okay, if I'm going to start teaching other people how to follow God, and I'm going to start leading other teenagers to follow God, I'm going to have to have a really consistent prayer life. And I knew that from watching my mom and, I, and watching my family. I knew that if you were going to lead anybody, if you're going to be anything for God, you've got to at least be praying. So I remember setting my alarm, and I started getting up every morning, spending time with God, praying and reading my Bible. That was probably the, the biggest change that has ever happened in my life. And if you've been coming to this church for any amount of time, that's why you hear me talk about every year, there's not a year gone by that we don't spend time talking about prayer, talking about reading your Bible, talking about having a time that you get alone with God every day. Because there's nothing that'll change you faster than that. And I remember in my life, my circumstances changed. There was a, there was a demand that was being put on me that I wasn't ready for and I wasn't prepared for. And so I rose to that by changing. And by changing... I was able to do that. And by continuing to change, then that gift grew. And I continued to grow. And then the door opened up to speak to more people and larger groups and on and on and on. But the environment changed. My situation changed. So what about you? What, 
What things in your life have you experienced that have forced you to change? Maybe you got a new job. Maybe you got a promotion. Maybe something happened in your life and you're like, I don't, I don't have the, the knowledge or the skill. And it forced you to change. What happens if you don't pay attention to your circumstances and, and, and you don't change? What happens if your circumstances change, your environment change, and you don't change? Well, I want you to think Blockbuster video. Anybody remember Blockbuster? That was kind of nostalgic, man. I, I used to love going to Blockbuster. That yellow and blue, you know, torn in half ticket, smell of popcorn, and that was so fun. You know, now it's too easy. You just click something. And you go, well, what's so fun in that? I kind of wish Blockbuster would come back. But anyway, I do remember when, they were, when it was changing. Oh, man, I remember it night and day. I mean, I, li- I remember my wife and I sitting on the couch and having a subscription to Blockbuster Online, but them only having certain videos available. And if you wanted the really good videos, you still had to go in the store. And I, I mean, I remember clear as day having the conversation with my wife. I said, they are not going to make it. Because no one wants to be told, if you, if you want something, you have to do it this way. But if you want the really good stuff, you still have to come to the store. Why? Because we've got hundreds of brick and mortar stores that we have to keep open. We don't care about the customer. We just want to keep our brick and mortar stores open. Hey, I wouldn't want to be in that position. But they didn't change. And guess what? They're a thing of the past. Think about churches. I mean, my gosh, how many churches have closed? Churches non-existent because the churches were doing things a certain way and they never changed. And this is the way grandma did it. And this is the songs grandma sang. And this is the way we've done it year after year. And we just keep going. And it doesn't matter that families are leaving and young people are leaving. And you just keep doing the same thing the same way until poof. Everything's just dust. It's gone. Hey, look what we're doing here at One Life. It's not going to work forever. Why? Because everything that grows is always changing. Environment's changing. Circumstances are changing. So if you're going to stay useful, you have to constantly be changing. You have to constantly be updating. Look, there, there are some mindsets, attitudes, ways of parenting, ways of communicating, ways of speaking to your spouse. Maybe you picked up from your family, from your parents, from your you know, family growing up that those things are holding you back and they need to be dropped. You need to adjust. And I've seen it over and over as a pastor. I've seen it so many times. Well, this is just the way I am. This is how my mama was. This is how my daddy was. This is how my grandma was. This is just the way I am. Well, you can stay the same and pay the price. Or you can change and reap the, the fruit of it and the benefits of it. But I've seen people hold on to it so long. And what are they doing? They're fighting change tooth and nail. And it's sad because the next thing that brings change, if circumstances and environment don't bring it, the next thing that brings change is pain. And pain is one of the best motivators for change. But the sad part is, is that if you wait until pain to change, you've typically already lost something very valuable. And this is why so many times people change after they've been divorced. How many times have I seen people change after a divorce that if they'd made those same changes 
while they were married, they would have never got divorced in the first place. I've seen it many times. Some of you have lived it. This is not to bring shame on anybody. or It's just a reality that we have to look at. You can't unscramble eggs. You can't back, go back and redo it. But so many times it's pain that motivates us to change. So many times once we've lost that spouse, so many times once we've lost that child that no longer speaks to us, now we're ready to change. Well, a lot of times it's too late. So here's what I'm saying. Why wait for pain to force you to change anyway? Let me give you an example. This doesn't really have to do with pain. It just has to do with waiting to, to change. I've done this multiple times, and my wife has finally, she just had enough. You know, she's, she's helped me with this. But I've done this multiple times where we're in a house, and she wants to change this, do this, upgrade the dishwasher, upgrade the fridge, paint this wall, remodel that, do this. And I'm like, nah, you know, because I'm, I'm a tightwad. I really am. I just, I penny pinch. But, and... You know, she let's do this, let's change this, and like, nah, let's hold off, let's wait. And I do, I drag my feet, I drag my feet. You know, and she'll do a few little things, and I drag my feet. And then, I know y'all, I know many of you have been in this same situation. Then all of a sudden, it comes time to sell the house. And in order to sell the house, you upgrade the dishwasher, upgrade the fridge, upgrade the stove, repaint everything, and you get to use it for a couple weeks, and then you're out. And then my wife is standing there scratching her head, going, why? Didn't we just do this a few years ago? And I could have had all the upgrades and enjoyed them for a few years before we just sold it to somebody else. But we do that sometimes where we need to change. We need to grow. We need to adjust. And we drag our feet. We drag our feet. We drag our feet. And then we find ourselves in this place of pain. And we end up having to make the changes anyway. And then we make them. But they don't necessarily get back what we've lost. So here's what I'm saying. Listen, if the Holy Spirit is so good and he is so faithful and he will prompt you day after day, week after week, year after year, hey, you need to change this. You need to change this. Why? Because he's looking out for your own good. And he doesn't want you to experience the pain. But so many times we ignore, we ignore, we ignore until it costs us. And sometimes what it costs us is irreparable. So let's not wait until the pain forces us to change. Let's let this third thing that causes people to change, let's let that get enacted now, which is love and devotion. Another thing that causes people to change is love and devotion. How many times have you, maybe some of you lived this, how many times have you seen somebody change when they finally have a child? They were one way, they were living the hard life, they were part, and then they have their own child. Nothing could change them, nothing could settle them down, nothing could cause them to, to see the light. And then they have that little baby and they look them in the face and everything changes. Why? Love and devotion. See, love and devotion is a powerful motivator to change. Also, if you love something enough, if you love someone enough, You'll change out of love. And how many of you know that's a much better reason to change? That's a much better reason to change than because you were forced to by pain or because you were forced to by circumstances. Love for God, love for people, devotion to God, devotion to people is a much better reason to change 
than being forced by your circumstances or forced from pain. See, love and devotion causes you to change on the front end. Out of love for someone, out of love for God. God, I just, I want to be useful for you. I realize my life is not my own. See, those things that motivate us, they can drive us to change. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1. I want you to listen closely to this because he, he gives us a lot of insight here. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And if I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, then I gain nothing. So Paul gives us this amazing revelation that why you do something matters. The reason and the motive before God of why you do something matters. Here, here's a, this is, you got to get this. If you change out of pain, really, that's just self-preservation. If you change out of pain, really, that's coming out of selfishness. But if you change out of love, now you have a, a motive and you have a heart that means something to God. See, he said here, if you give away everything that you have, if you deliver up your body to be burned and the motive is not love, he said, you're nothing. It means absolutely nothing to God. So some of you are sitting here going, man, I've made all these changes in my life and it means nothing. If it wasn't out of love for God and love for people, it doesn't mean anything to God. Well, I just changed because, you know, I got tired of being a certain way. Okay, you did it for yourself. I'm not even saying that that, that can't be part of it. Maybe love for yourself. Maybe love for God is why you did it. But... If, it's, if the motive is not love, the Bible talks about on Judgment Day that there's a whole pile of stuff that's going to just be burned up because the motive wasn't right. And that there's going to be a lot of people that said, I did this and I did that and I gave away this. And he's going to go, yeah, you did, it to, you did it to gain favor with someone else. You did it to look good. You did it to make yourself feel better. You didn't do it out of love. See, God knows that motive. God knows that motive. So what I'm... What I'm getting at this morning is, yeah, we do need to change, but we also need to change for the right reasons. It's very important that you change for the right reasons. Recently, I was watching Karate Kid 3 with my, with my kids. You know, I've seen Karate Kid 3. It's you know, not as popular as the first ones. But there was this little line that uh, Mr. Miyagi said, and it stuck with me. Now, I don't put it on the same level as Scripture, okay? But it is Mr. Miyagi, and you just... No one ever lives up to Mr. Miyagi, you know, I don't even know why they try to replace him, but he's standing there with Daniel's son, and Daniel is upset because Daniel has won the karate championship, all valley karate championship for the last two years, and he wants to enter the tournament, tournament for a third year, and Mr. Miyagi says, no, I'm not going to train you, and Daniel's very upset. He says, why will you not train me for the the title. I want to defend the title. And Mr. Miyagi is so wise. You know, he, he says, 
Daniel-san. If karate used to defend honor, to defend life, then karate means something. If karate used to defend plastic trophy, karate no mean nothing. And I was like, man, I'm using that in my sermon. That is so good. That is so good. Thank you, Mr. Miyagi. But it's so true. He said the reason why you fight matters, okay? If you're fighting to defend honor, to defend life, he says it means something. If you're fighting to defend a plastic trophy, it doesn't mean anything. So why you do something matters. So it's not good enough for us just to sit here. Okay, let me give you an example, all right? Right now, the self-help industry is exploding. Self-help. I mean, it's been exploding for years. Self-help books, self-help seminars, life coaches, you know, everywhere. I I wrote some of these things down. Approximately 18,000 life coaches working in the U.S. right now. I'm like, I don't know if there's that many people that have their own life in order that they're ready to be (laughs) coaching other people in their life, but... In total, the self-improvement industry is worth $11 billion just in the U.S. every year. And it's growing. They expect it to be $13 billion this year. Life training seminars that look to motivate, empower, teach. It's now a $500 million industry, just, just life training seminars. Things that people pay to to go and change. You know, the books, again, coming out the wazoo. The most common goals that people want to achieve through self-help have to do with relationships, increasing happiness, weight loss, success, money, and spirituality. So people obviously want to change. I mean, you look at, you look at these statistics, that's growing, that's changing. Obviously, people want to change. The question is, why do you want to change? And In most of these cases, the reason why people want to change is for themselves. It's a a selfish reason. You want to change for you. And all I'm saying is, any change that you make in your life can be an act of service to God. In other words, I want to change and I want to get better because this is what your word asks of me. In other words, I don't want to just be a better husband so that I can have a better life. That may be part of it. I want to be a better husband so that I can honor God. See, and, and if I'm making changes in service of God, then it means something. That's what he was explaining to us in 1 Corinthians 13. I don't want to just change so that I can be happier. I want to change so that I can be more useful for God. And that I can, I can serve him better. And I can do it as an act of service for him. In Matthew chapter 22... Jesus hit on this again, Matthew twenty two thirty six. Someone asked him, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Meaning every single law written in the Old Testament hangs on these first two, which is love God and love people. If you do any of the other laws, 
for any other reason than loving God or loving people, it doesn't mean anything. He said the whole Old Testament hangs on these two laws. Love God and love people. So we're going to be talking about this for a few weeks because I know people want to change, but we need to be changing for the right reasons, and we need some practical help on how to change, how to change God's way, how to submit to the process that God has for changing us so that change sticks, change lasts, change is exponential throughout the years. There's, there's many of us that have plateaued and we, haven't, we grew to a certain point and we haven't grown in years. I want to help us get unstuck. I think the Word of God can help us get unstuck and, and grow together as a church so that as a church, we're more effective for the kingdom of God and that we're more useful in this place where God has planted us. Amen? 